everywhere that you work and every person that you work for will, has something to teach you always <laughs> whether it's teaching you something not to do or teaching you something that you like you can always always learn something new welcome to the horsewoman project a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman from relationships to truck issues taking care of your nutrition and fitness and of course horses Getting into the horse industry, it can be intimidating. <laughs> um, just because there are, there can be a lot of like clicks um, of different groups of people, or like a lot of people within the horse industry are very opinionated about what they know, and they think what they know is the way of horsemanship. Um, and not always. There's definitely a lot of open-minded people in it too, um, but that can definitely make it difficult getting into the industry and like being able to actually feel like a professional and not feel like a beginner. How do you even like begin to even think about getting in? So like, cause you yeah. started, I know you, you um, didn't start writing until you were 18 and then you mm-hmm. went to college and everything. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? And then we can get into startup costs and things. Um, yeah. If you could speak on that a little bit, cause I think your experience was very unique, especially because you did start like when you were in college versus earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I started when I was a senior in high school and did a work for rights program. And, um, and that just taught me like, because I did the work part of it, as well as the riding part of it, I learned how to muck stalls and groom horses and pick up the bells of hay and and feed the horses. Like I learned all of that, which I think really helps give me a whole picture (laughs) of everything. Um, And so that was super beneficial for me. But then I ended up going into the equine science and management program at Utah State, which is an amazing program, guys. I loved it. Um, (laughs) Plus or minus a few things. Um, Changed a few things while I was there. Um, And uh, but it was so nice because there were so many applied classes. There were applied genetics classes, there were applied training classes, there were applied stable management classes. So there was a lot of doing, learning by doing, which was wonderful. But I do have to say one thing that I did not realize before going into college for this was that in the horse industry, a degree means next to nothing. Mm -hmm. It does not get you anywhere extra. In most fields, if you have a degree, like you, you usually have to have a base degree, right, of a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD to get a particular job. And within that field, the higher degree you have, you know, the, the better job you can get, right? Um, in the horse industry, that is not the case at all. They do not look for if you have a degree or not. They look for industry experience, And I did not know that going in because like I said, I only had just barely started branching into the horse industry in my senior year in high school. And I don't regret my experience at all because I did learn such a huge variety of everything from how to judge horses in a class and how to look at their confirmation, how to doctor horses. I learned a lot of like veterinary care Mm -hmm. things and medical things. And then I learned how to do applied breeding. I bred a horse myself and got to watch her 
uh, her baby, you know, and so I got to learn all aspects of so many different sides of the horse industry. So I do not regret it at all. But that being said, college is expensive. And if you do want to get into the horse industry without having to pay the expense of college, you absolutely 100% can make it work. And it's actually better for you to get paid while you learn. And there are so many books out there, guys, so many um, programs you can get into, whether it's virtually or in person, depending on where you live, that you can learn those other things. Like I said, the medical things, talk to your farrier, you know, get learn about horse hooves and the mechanics of things. And so you can learn those things without going to college. Um, It was just, that's the way I did it. And I, I loved it. But I would definitely say, don't limit yourself just by doing the riding and the mucking, right? Which was where I started. Um, and, and the feeding and the grooming and all of that. Learn all the aspects, you know, learn a little bit here and there about this thing and that thing. And, and it all depends on what you're wanting to go into, right? As a horse trainer, getting a college degree probably isn't that necessary, right? Um, but if you want to become an equine veterinarian, if you want to become an equine therapist, if you want to teach equine science or get into any kind of instruction, I think education actually is important because you're going to learn so much. Like for me in my writing lessons, there was so much I drew from my um, time at Utah State in their horse program Mm -hmm. that applied to my lessons and really helped me I feel like give better lessons was because I had more of an educational background in some of the things that I could teach my kids from the ground up in as well. So I like, I would go back and forth. Like I wouldn't say, no, you don't need an education. Don't do it at all. I think it's very valuable, but, but it, it does depend on what your finances look like. Like if, if you absolutely cannot afford college, there are ways to do it. Right. Like, like Camry is saying, like, definitely there are people you can go talk to, get experience with them. You can be an apprentice for somebody. Um, you are going to have to invest though. Cause even apprenticeships, you have to pay, you know, yeah, that's just part of, of learning, but it is going to be worth it. Um, I would also say too, I really valued my time at Utah State because for me, it gave me knowledge that I knew something, right? Um, where I feel like, because I worked for a trainer in in high school for two years in high school and worked with Colts and stuff. And so I that gave me a little bit of like, okay, I think, I think maybe I know a little bit, but I still had a huge imposter syndrome, right? That I feel like going into and, and really lurk, uh, really learning on a higher level on a second level education piece really just helped me like my peace of mind going okay no I know something about this right like it gave me a little bit of authority and confidence to move yeah. forward um where I don't feel like I would have gotten that somewhere else just because I was so introverted and so like oh, I, I would never have asked anybody like hey can you help me with this um but going yeah. and paying for it and actually like making myself learn these things and it's accelerated when you do it in a college setting too because you have to get things done you, yeah. you know you don't have the you don't have excuses you have to get it done um so there are a few like pros and cons to that as well 
that I would say, but it all depends on what you want to go into. Cause there are so many avenues you can take in the horse industry. You do not have to be a trainer. You do not have to be a riding lesson instructor. You can be an equine therapist. You can be an equine photographer. You can be a seller and a horse trader. You can be just a horse owner. You like, there's so many avenues that I feel like when we say horse industry, I don't know if you do the same thing, but I think trainer riding lessons you know <laughs> that's probably because that's like the majority of what I've done but when we talk horse industry I feel like you know people think oh it has to be this thing but it's like no you can you can do quite a bit with horse photography I mean there mm-hmm. are people who breed horses and sell horses who need photography for their catalogs so figure out like which avenue that really interests you and, and go for it yeah well I'm like for me I did an internship between my junior and senior year in college where I went back to Virginia and was an assistant trainer because training was definitely like I always loved training my dogs growing up and so the training aspect was had definitely had a huge huge pull for me Um, but then after I graduated I got hired on at that same barn in Virginia to be a barn manager and that job was I learned so much in that job I mean, I learned how the ins and outs of, of managing a barn goes, you know, and, and luckily there was a really amazing manager before me that had like all of these forms and schedules and things set up for that barn. But I mean, I did everything from like the veterinary care, like unless it was sutures or like something major x-rays that a horse needed, I was the vet, you know, I did all of the, the smaller things. And then I also got to assist while I was barn managing, I got to assist with the training a little bit when I had the time. And, but then I also, um, it was a breeding and training barn. So, uh, they would have babies and I learned how to take advertising photos from the owner there, um, because she would take her own photos. So she was like, this is what we're looking for in these photos. And that was something I hadn't learned in school. That was just something that she had taught me of like you know you want their legs positioned like this and their head more or less like this and and so that it makes it look a certain way when you um, post these photos to sell these babies and um, so yeah I mean there's there's just so many avenues from farrier work to photography to training to to breeding and even like clothing design there's a gal mm-hmm. I followed that she's in the horse industry because she designs clothing for horse, horsewomen, you know, I'm in the horse industry still because I help horsewomen with their health. There's so much that you can do in the horse industry. And I think it's amazing. And like you said, get experience other places too. Like don't let edu- like schooling be the end point because there's so much more to learn. You can only learn so much in those specific classes that going in like what Camry did and having horses come up with problems every day that she has to problem solve is well worth any education, right? Yeah. Well, and, and um, after I worked at that barn, I ended up working at the Shingatique Pony Center um, where I trained Misty three. And it was, that was a whole different experience because at this breeding and training barn that I managed, it was a working barn and so it did have a certain level of like cleanliness and looking good but it was a working barn you know there was horse poop here and there and and all of that but when I worked at the Shingatig Pony Center it was a tourist center and it was they had a little arena not an arena a little round pen that was inside their building so around the round pen was their like Misty Museum 
So they had like museum things wow. in the same room as this little round pen that they would do their nightly pony shows and show off the, the local ponies. And, and so, but it had to be spotless all the time. Like if a horse pooped, it got picked up right then and there. And it was always being swept, always being dusted because, you know, when horses ride around in a little round pen, it kicks dirt up and dust up. And, and so we were always watering the little arena and we were always sweeping things up and keeping it so clean. So like public appearance was something I really learned at that job of, of having your facilities look nice and be functional, you know, aside from just being a working barn. So like everywhere that you work and every person that you work for, well, has something to teach you always, <laughs> whether it's teaching you something not to do or teaching you something that you like, you can always, always learn something new. Yeah. 100%. And like you said at the beginning, like everyone thinks that what they're doing is the only way to do it. So one of my tricks that I do are not really tricks, but something just to think about as you're going into, cause you're going to come in with your own background and your own way of doing things, but just keep your mouth shut learn because you're going to learn so many different things, right? Like Camry style is a little bit different than mine, but I'm able to build mine up because of Camry style, right? There, there are things that you can take from everybody. I don't care who it is and what their style is like. There's something you can take from that experience. So allow them to teach you, even if you don't completely agree, because there's going to be something that you can take from that and build onto yours. Or you might notice things that's like, I really hate this and I'm never going to do this. And it's going to be in your radar to watch out for as well. Um, but just be willing to be teachable and don't, don't come in and like tell people that they're wrong or, or be, abrasive about it just let them teach you everyone I don't know a single person who wouldn't love to teach you something everyone wants to be able to leave something for somebody right because we all have life experience so just allow that and realize there are going to be things you hate that now it's like after they've after they've shown you and you realize you really don't like that thing it's just something that's hey it's going to be on your radar you're going to like understand oh I'm going to watch for these signals that maybe this thing's coming up in myself or in other people that I notice that are coming in to work with me that I don't want and that I don't like and you can set that boundary up and then there's going to be other things where it's like oh my gosh like this opens way more doors and avenues for me that I never even imagined before so just be very open-minded and teachable in those experiences as well as well yeah I completely agree there I think too to build on that I'm I still feel a huge amount of imposter syndrome when it comes to working in the horse industry, whether that's with my health business, my health and fitness business, or whether that's my training or whether that's my writing lesson stuff. I've never felt like I was the best ever. And that can be very paralyzing when you don't feel like you're the best because you want to be an authority, right? Um, but realize no one, like unless, I mean, I could probably maybe name some clinicians out there who, who really do think they're the best, but most people don't feel that way about themselves. Most people are going to be in the same boat as you where they feel a little bit of imposter syndrome and they're just, they're pushing forward. So push forward, realize you're going to learn. And even the people I teach, so like my writing lesson people, I learned so much just by teaching beginners so many things that I never would have learned just by writing myself because I was able to push past my discomfort of feeling like I wasn't good enough and taught these people there was so much I learned and so much I was able to give because I was willing to push past that discomfort so 
you'll never, you'll never feel like you know enough and you'll always be able to learn more. Just push past it, go forward, pick which avenue you want to go to. If it needs education, go get education, go learn from other people and take the time. Cause I don't know, there's that point in life where it's harder to do that. Like me right now, it would be very hard for me to just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go work for somebody and pay them to work for them where, you know, seven years ago, that was really easy for me to do. So really just play. If you're, if you have the time, if you have the money, if you have the like flexibility, go do it now. Um, Don't wait. So one thing that will help you really feel, at least for me, that helped me feel a bit more like a professional. And like, I really knew what I was doing a little bit more is to either talk through or write down your processes. So like, for instance, when I wanted to start giving clinics, I was super nervous because it was like, I know these things because I do them every day with horses. And then I did have some lessons that I would teach, but a lot of it was for beginners on my horses. At the time, I didn't do as many lessons for people on their own horses like I do now. And um, so I was just nervous. Like I wanted to plan it out. Like I had like pages of what I wanted my clinic to look like and like things I would say and like, because I'm just that over preparer. Right. (laughs) And, um, but what I also did to prepare for that, for doing clinics was I would, as I trained through the day when no one was there, it was just me. I would act like I was putting on a clinic and I would talk through what I was doing with this horse so that I could prepare myself with the language around what I was doing and how I wanted to explain it. And that, holy cow, have I learned so much more from doing that. And the times when I feel a little bit like lost or unsure of what to do next with a horse when I'm working with it, if I just talk out loud and say what I'm doing and say what I'm seeing as if I were the clinician, all of a sudden I can problem solve 10 times faster. Um, And so I think it just, number one, it helps you solidify your process Um, But it also helps you put words to what you're doing, which I think is super helpful. And then even if you're not talking about it, to write down, like, what are my steps in my process of what I do as a professional? What, what's the first thing I do? You know, what's the next thing to be able to have it a little bit more solid like that, instead of just feeling like you quote unquote wing it all the time, that adds a certain level of professionalism to the outside world as well, but also just to your mental state, because you know what your process is, you know, you feel a lot more like you know what you're doing, I guess, when you do it that way. So that's something that has been super beneficial for me. Um, So yeah, a little tip there. So I'm kind of in a fishbowl because I have a highway that goes right at the edge of my 15 acres. So there's people that are like, oh yeah, I saw you working with this horse the other day and I saw you doing this and that. And I'm sure they're like, what is this crazy girl doing talking to herself? Like <laughs> as I'm out there alone being like, yeah, I'm doing this and blah, blah, blah. And pretending like I'm putting on a clinic and people are like, what? She talks to herself, this crazy lady, <laughs> but it's helpful. So yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I can be a fish in a bowl. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. (laughs) No, I love that because I really do feel like you learn 10 times more when you teach than you ever will as a student. So doing like what Camry said, just pretending like you're teaching somebody can be very powerful or even grabbing somebody and teaching them, (laughs) you know, too, because the questions that come up and the things like I, that's what I loved about 
teaching people. And I still do. I just, I love teaching people. I cannot wait till I can kind of start doing that again. Um, when things align, because it just, I just love that curiosity that comes up. I love all the different questions. I love having to explain and having to be like, no, this is why I do this. And then realizing, oh, maybe it's not really like, maybe I don't have to do it this way, you know, and, and having those questions come up because it just, it teaches you so much about yourself as well. So one thing that intimidated me with it, with teaching was again I like to be that perfectionist and get it right the first time every time right so I have a lot of like wanting to achieve and be like that so I was really intimidated by like what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to (laughs) like that scared the crap out of me and most of the time when people have asked questions I will surprise myself in like what I know and it's like, right. holy crap, I didn't know I knew that. Like, and yep. it's like you said, like you don't, you learn so much more by teaching and that's why, because it, it gets your brain thinking more in depth about answers to some of those questions that you wouldn't have asked yourself, but someone else will. And then there have been a handful of times when it, they asked a question that it was like, well, you know, I don't know, let's think through that for a minute. And then it actually brings up, like you said, more of like this curiosity of like, well, what would be the answer to that? And like, how would we solve this and, and things like that. So it actually has turned into something that I'm not near as scared of now. It's, it's more of, I see it as this opportunity of like, Ooh, like what, what will we discover at this clinic about (laughs) horse training? Because you just, it it never goes the way you think it's going to go. So I used to, like I said, Drop like write out pages and pages for what I wanted to do for clinics and now like I do have a, a bullet point outline but it just always evolves and goes into where it needs to go for each horse and rider and it's just so fun to see all the learning opportunities that come up that you didn't even know were there <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent I used to be the same way too where I'm like oh like I don't want to come across like I don't know what I'm doing But when you present yourself and you just say, hey, like, I'm not perfect, and you include that person in your process, that person is going to be more stuck to you than any other person. Um, I can remember the first time that I had people who I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can teach you anything. They show in reining and ranch riding and they they travel for all these different shows and they're trying to get more like in the upper level show show portion and I specialized in kids and my specialty in my business what I was shooting for was people who were scared of horses I really wanted to build up confidence and work on hey you come to me like if you have fear I'm gonna help you break through that fear so when these this couple came to me and wanted me to teach them oh my gosh like I, it was like, I don't know what I can give them, but what it taught me, because I did take a step back and I had very specific lesson plans and notes and things for their lessons, but it was really interesting to, to find like, oh man, I I have something that I can teach these people. And that was very empowering for me where it was like, wow, like I can actually teach you something. I really didn't think I'd be able to, but when you find that and then get back into that comfort of just realizing like, look, they're not expecting perfection. They see something in you that, that they want to learn from and realize that like that when people come to you, it's not because they think you're perfect. They just see something they like and they want to learn from you. Yeah. Well, I guess we can get into startup costs. So Camry and I, trainers, riding instructors, that's what we're speaking from going into this. So we don't have experience in the other areas that we listed, like the therapy and, and everything. Um, I've got like maybe a little bit in that area, but just realize 
as we're as we go forward here we're speaking from our experiences as, as far as training and writing lessons and and those aspects well i think because camry was mentioning too um like starting in and and being that cheap trainer and i really want to like dive into that a little bit further because I'm, I'm very like I can remember when I first went to Camry she still was like charging pennies and I was like oh my gosh Camry <laughs> I remember having these conversations with you as I'm like paying you for stuff I'm like you realize you could be charging me like double this and I'd still come right <laughs> I felt like I should have been paying you so much more I was like I'm sorry I can't afford to pay you more Michaela <laughs> Yeah, well, to because like as Camry just said there, I was her assistant for a while, um, helping her train colts and things. And yeah, like was she paying me a, a buttload of money? No, but it was worth it to me because it gave me hands-on experience with a trainer that I respected and that I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much I can learn from you, Camry. That it didn't matter, like I you know, it's like, I just was grateful I got paid anything, right? Because you gave me so much knowledge and I was just lucky to be in a time where, where I could balance that out and it wasn't a huge, a huge deal, right? Yeah. Granted, you were a bit stressed at that time, but. <laughs> a bit? Well, it's funny. Okay. Tangent really quick, but I was talking to my husband the other day because when I was working with Camry, I was also traveling up north and doing riding lessons three days a week and then I was working with Camry two days or three days a week I can't remember my days are a little bit off but then I was also coaching so I had three jobs and then I was also prepping for my first fitness photo shoot so I was on really low calories I had lost like 20 pounds and <laughs> like it's amazing how much stress is goes up and is unmanageable when you don't have food in your body so stress was very high then yeah well I sent you <laughs> an Instagram reel last night <laughs> like can we just play it right now I'm not one of those anemic women who can get nutrition from a lettuce leaf <laughs> guys we'll have to link to that in the show notes oh my gosh I'm like if this doesn't explain us <laughs> in one video <laughs> and then I love at the end she's like sit down I'll make you a sandwich <laughs> That's like my husband every day. Every day he's like, so when did you eat last? Okay, I'm going to go make you some food. <laughs> I am a food person and I will never not be a foodie. I love food. and <laughs> yep. yep, I'm the same. Totally anyway. same. Anyways, that's completely unrelated, but. <laughs> but if you're yes. stressed, go eat something. <laughs> I know. Maybe we shouldn't say it in quite those words. That could like get some disordered thinking going. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something to, to just realize in yourself because I was talking to Eric about this yesterday. Um, and I was like, you know, I didn't really like in the moment as I was doing all that, that stress, it was just like, oh my gosh, the universe is after me. Right. But it was like, you know what? No, there was a lot of things that I was choosing to do that was causing a lot of stress at that time you know I was working three jobs I was also in really low calories I was also working out really really hard and looking back at that it, it just kind of it can be a little bit eye-opening because that was one of the most stressful times of my life since college <laughs> but looking back it's like wow I had a lot more control than I was giving myself credit for in the moments then um 
So it's just something to think about too, if, you, if you're going through that. But now back to the horse industry. <laughs> hey, you guys, we promised tangents, so we will deliver. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, if you're okay, I'll kind of start off with like me starting out with writing lessons and then we can kind of just go back and forth. But yeah. I was very similar to Camry as in when I started writing lessons, gosh, I think I charged $20 for an hour writing lesson, which guys, that is nothing. Like doesn't even cover anything, <laughs> you know? Um, and I actually, it took, I had a client that I taught her, like three of her kids and I taught her for over a year before she was like, look, you really need to raise your prices. And I was like, what, really? She's like, you have no idea how much value you're giving my children and you deserve a lot more money for this. And she actually helped coach me. One of my clients helped coach me through raising my prices and doing that. And now like after coming off of doing that in multiple businesses, it's like, I am very like, no, you will not undervalue yourself because when you undervalue yourself, you also undervalue the people that are coming to you. Um, and it just, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody when you undervalue yourself. There's always going to be people who are like, wow, you really overcharge. But I tell you what, no, the people who actually pay you will never question what you charge. They will never question that because they see the value in it. They will never be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be paying you this money as they're paying you. That's just not going to happen. And the people who do question you, you don't want because they would question you no matter what you did and what you were doing. So it's kind of, it's a way to like weed through the clients that you don't want, as well as it honestly gives you more value. Because if I'm paying Camry $550 a month for training, I'm going to have pretty darn low expectations, not going to lie of what my horse is going to be like coming out of that training program. But if I'm paying a thousand dollars a month for Camry's training program, I'm going to do whatever the hell Camry tells me to do. Like if she wants me to buy a new bit, I will be buying that new bit. If she wants me to come weekly for lessons, I will come weekly for lessons, right? <laughs> because all of a sudden Camry's value in my head just went through the roof, right? Because I'm willing to invest in that. Um, and Camry's also going to give you a lot more. If you're paying Camry a thousand dollars a month, you're going to get a heck of a lot more out of Camry too, because she recognizes that you value her enough to pay that. Right. So there's some psychology yeah. that goes into the startup cost there, but at the same time, there is value in not having really high startup costs when you're a beginner as well. So I'm saying that, but also you do need to have that time where you well, you are just flat out beginner because you're going to learn a lot from there as well. Yeah. Well, and you have to start where you're at. You can't go and look at someone else in your industry that's been doing it for 10 or 20 years and charge what they're charging. Um, when you're very first starting up, you know, in your beta phase or whatever, and you're, mm -hmm. and you're trying things out and you're still setting up your programs, you, you do have to start a bit lower. And then mm -hmm. don't be afraid to put your prices up once your program is set up the way you want it to be set up and you feel successful in your program bump those prices up and don't feel bad about it because it does create more dedication in the people that come to you and it brings to you the client you want you don't want the cheapskates you don't want the people that don't see value in what you do um, you want the people that are going to put the time in going to put the money in and and really going to see what you're giving them so yeah yeah 100 percent um <laughs> especially as I've transitioned more into the coaching industry there are some coaches out there that I'm like 
you know, they just barely got their certifications and they're charging more than I am. And that sometimes I'm like, okay, that's not very good because what, what value are you going to give this person? So definitely charge what you're worth as in recognize that you are a beginner, but charge enough that you actually make something, you know, look at, look at what the costs are going to be, do the math and really do charge. Like, so you're, so you're making something on top of that, because if you're not, you can get burnt out so quickly. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. Kind of went into, we both charged pennies for both of our things. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I charged actually similar to what you did. I started with charging $25 for an hour lesson. Yeah. And you guys, if you know what it takes to own a horse or lease a horse for a lesson program, the, what it costs daily to feed that horse, the, the boarding or mortgage, depending on like with me, it's a mortgage because I'm paying for my property. But like with you, you were um, boarding horses at that place in Provo. Mm -hmm. When you add up all those costs, I mean, it's $25 for an hour is insane. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I started there, but then within about a year, I think of doing lessons, my prices went up because mm-hmm. it was like, well, now I have some people coming and I need to actually make enough money to make it worth my time. And mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And just realize like, there are always going to be comments about your prices. It doesn't matter who you are, oh, yeah. or what you're doing. There's always going to be oh, well, that's really expensive or that's not worth it. I can go to Susie down the road and she, she'll charge me 10 bucks, you know, but they're going to get from you, your experiences from that. Um, well, and it's, you get what you pay for. Oh, you do. And you know, it's funny. Cause as I think back at writing lessons, as much as I loved them, I did writing lessons, what, four years, I made a profit one year out of those four years. And you want to know what my profit was I made a hundred bucks. <laughs> That's it. Right. Which brings us to our next point, guys, that most people in the horse industry do it for the love of it. Yeah. Because it's going to make you rich. (laughs) Yep. Nope. But people are going to be thinking you're bringing in the money. I got, oh my gosh, one time I just, I about died. So, um, the, the place up in Provo that I was doing lessons and things. So I paid to use the facilities up there. I leased like 14 horses that were up there as well. And I trailered my own horses up. So, I mean, if you can just even imagine what that would cost. I had some parents get mad at me at one point. They they were getting pretty upset with me and started yelling at me about how I'm taking advantage and I'm raking in the money and I just about died right then. I'm like, you want to actually know that I barely break even like when it comes to paying all my lease horses, paying the boarding costs, paying, paying for the facilities and paying my assistant. I'm like, I make nothing. <laughs> I'm like, I maybe paid myself $2 a week, like from lessons, honestly. Um, But the reason it was worth it for me was it also helped because my horses were part of my program. It helped me be able to keep the horses that I had. And that's, that was kind of my payback for that was the four horses that I wanted to be able to keep for myself because they were part of my program. I could also write that off as businesses and, and they were being used for lessons. And so it helped pay their costs. And that's, that's really what the trade-off was there. So it's like, did I bring a lot of money home? No, but it kept me keeping my horses that I really loved and I, I wanted to keep. And so that trade-off was worth it for me. You just have to really look at your overhead costs and really make sure it's worth it and, and look and see the pros and cons. For me, it worked because it fed my horse addiction and my husband was making enough to cover all of our living expenses. Um, 
but if he wasn't, I couldn't have done that, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of considerations with it of, you know, where the economy is and where you live and what the cost is to do what you want to do. And yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it. Mm-hmm. There is. A part of my business too is I'm working towards getting like different certifications. And one of the certifications that I've been working towards, um, one of the courses I had to take was a legal course in in the horse industry. So you learn all about the legal stuff. And by golly, can I tell you how easy it is to get sued and lose everything in the horse industry? Yeah. Like a lot of people, I don't feel like realize that. Um, most states in Utah and Idaho are are one of them where the state has like the horse clause where it'll protect you most of the time. But um, when you really look into that, there's a lot of people who look at that and goes full stop. They don't even have you sign releases or anything. They'll just put that sign up on their arena that says by the state of Utah, like any horse facilities are deemed dangerous. So you come in here. That's great, but that does not save you. So look into different laws. If you want to take this course, I can link to it. It's um, I'll just link to it. It's like horse courses, something. Equine Institute is what it's called. But we'll link to it if you want to take it. Um, But there are so many ways that you can be deemed neglectful, right? Because that clause is, it's like, unless there's neglect, right? And there are so many ways that you can be neglectful. Like I was reading up in my writing lessons and if I provided helmets, And let's say for some reason there was a random helmet that just happened to be faulty. That was on me. That would have been neglectful on me. If, if I had given a kid a helmet, they fell off and the helmet cracked and they still got hurt. Then I was responsible. And that was something that was like, whoa, I didn't realize that because I didn't mind providing helmets for people and being like, yeah, sure. Just, just throw this on. So after that, that changed the way that I did that as well, where it was like, no, you will provide your own helmet. Um, I will not provide that for you because I didn't want to be liable for that. Cause I'm already liable for the saddles that you're using, the horses you're riding, the bridles you're using, like all of that equipment. If any of it is faulty, that's on you. That's on your head. Wow. Yeah. See, I didn't know that I provide yeah. helmets for most of my students. So <laughs> right <laughs> it makes for second, thought there <laughs> makes you second guess it a little bit where you're like oh okay you're I guess you'll really be just check your equipment to make sure all the equipment you're using there's no way that it's going to cause issues um so I had an assistant and I would have her every week part of her jobs were to go through my equipment wash my saddles clean my saddles make sure that there was nothing um off on them check the saddle pads and bridles and things just to make sure that that they weren't off um but then there's so much too that like the property you're using gosh if the horse trips on a hole that you didn't see like that's on your head right if you've got something in your arena um like i don't know trying to think if you've got just anything in your arena that all of a sudden caused the horse to do something that's on you right that's neglect on you um so learning that really made me be a lot more cautious about things and really made me kind of almost second guess like okay why am I doing this again (laughs) because there is so many and we like to in the horse industry I feel like put a lot of trust in the people that come to us like we trust oh you wouldn't sue me but you just never know it only takes one it only takes one client coming to you who gets really upset or really hurt and you're, you're done. Right. Um, so that's kind of 
one of the things that you really should look at. I will link to that course. Um, but just read your state laws too, because not all states are like Idaho and Utah where they have that clause too, where they will protect you or give you some form of protection. Yeah, well, and I also have a contract that I have people sign that says essentially, I'm responsible for me. So if I get hurt while riding their horse in training, they're not responsible for my medical bills. And if their horse gets hurt while I'm riding it, they have to pay for their horse. So I pay for me, they pay for their horse, right? Um, neither of us are liable for each other's yeah. stuff. Um, and I'm sure there's still holes that people could poke in that. Um, but it's just something that helps me feel at least a little bit better about the fact that they did sign something saying that like they can't sue me for emotional or physical damages or any of that because they are knowingly putting their horse in training and like things happen. And I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into having a thousand to 1200 pound animal with, you know, like in my case where it's a, one that's been untrained most of the time, you know, I have cold starts and you never know what they're going to do. There's always that risk that they can buck or do something that puts you in danger. And then with kids, like with riding lessons with you, you know, if there's a little kid that loses their, you know, and throws a big tantrum on top of a horse and that horse doesn't handle it well, you know, that's, that's a huge animal that can really do some damage and really could kill you. Um, so there's just a lot that, that goes into that. And <laughs> I had a client once that called my contract, oh, your yuppie contract. Because <laughs> he was more like into the older horse industry where like no one ever needed to do that. And it's like, but this day and age, it is so different than it used to be. And you can't just trust that someone's not going to come after everything that you own. And that's part of why like I have an LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want all of my personal things taken away if anyone sues my business. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but yeah, don't let people talk you out of contracts or say, oh, you don't need it. You don't, you need it. Like have the signs put up that have the actual law stated on this, on the sign. Cause I have two of them on my round pen and it has the little, like it's clause such and such. And it like has the, the name of what that is. Um, but then also, so double up on all your protection, you know, have a, a contract that has been looked over by a lawyer to make sure it's, it'll stand up and, uh, just make sure you protect yourself because yeah. you don't want to get into that. But also part of protecting yourself is some of this knowledge we talked about before, which is, you know, when you have that base knowledge in the industry, you know, a lot of safety things of like how to check all of your straps and how to, um, correctly tie a horse and how to like like the first thing I go over in my lessons with students is how to properly be around a horse Mm -hmm. like one of the huge things that is like a massive pet peeve for me is when people duck under a horse's head when they're tied Uh oh like I get so irate about that I'm like do not ever do that like (laughs) yeah never ever ever I do not care what horse it is like you never go under a horse's head that is tied Um, So it's things like that of like, if you know all those things and not only know them, but teach them to your students, Mm -hmm. teach them how to safely walk behind a horse, teach them 
how to safely pick up their hooves and like do all these things and how to tie knots without getting their finger between the knots. That's oh, another yeah. huge yeah. one. Um, putting I, the whole hand through. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> oh, I know it like gives me anxiety when I'm trying to teach a student yeah. knots and they stick their hand through. I'm like, don't, oh, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Um, so protect yourself in those ways too, of mm-hmm. having that knowledge and sharing that knowledge with your students yeah. that safety always, always, always comes first, no matter what, like, I don't care what else you're working on, what else is happening. Safety Mm -hmm. is the number one thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would say too, along with that document thing. So I have a safety checklist that I would do. And it's like, okay, after you prove that you can do this for like a month, we'll sign this off and you get like a star or whatever. But then if something happens and that kid goes, Oh, you never taught me that. It's like, actually I did. And here's when we started teaching that. And then you've practiced it every time, but it also, if you put it in that practice, so like my lessons structured, very similar, every, every lesson, how far away do you need to be from the horse? Where, where do your horses need to be tied? How do we tie? Let's check your knots. Like that was every lesson. I didn't care how old you were, you know, I was doing that also checking cinches there, even my adult clients, I'm like, nope, I'm still coming and checking your cinch. Like I know, you know, and they'd kind of roll their eyes at me, but when they're in my lesson, their safety is on my head. I'm not about to let them ride off with an unchecked cinch, (laughs) right. That could cause problems no matter if they roll their eyes at me or not. Um, yeah, I'm checking their cinch. So, (laughs) (laughs) and, and, to most people, if you go, yeah, I know, but this is just my protocol. Like they'll probably roll your eye, their eyes at you, but then it's going to be fine. Right. And once it yeah. becomes part of just your routine and what you do, like they'll never question it again. And if they do, well, then it's like, well, look, if you have a problem with this, then maybe you should go somewhere else too. Like, don't be afraid to set up that boundary. If you've got somebody who doesn't want to sign a contract, that's a really big red flag. Oh yeah. Like, Ooh, we do not want you in my program. Then thanks. You know, yeah. same with horse leases. Because I did lease quite a few horses and I would back off on the people who were like, ah, you can use my horse, but I don't, I don't really see a need to sign this contract. And it's like, well, then I don't really see a need to use your horse. Yeah. Because contracts, you have to think they protect you and they protect the owner when you're looking at horses. It's not just for my protection. It's also for them. And it also states who's responsible for what, like when I'm using a horse in lessons, am I responsible if that horse, like trips and skins his knee or or like what if he has a heart attack in the middle of my lesson am I responsible for that right so that those kind of contracts that's what states you know that's what helps you know and helps the owner know who's responsible for what when that horse is under your care like Camry was saying in her training her owners are responsible 100% for whatever happens to that horse um, where she's responsible for herself. And that's the same, like in my contracts, it's like, okay, you are not responsible for the kids who are on your horse. That's part of the contract, right? They're, they're not liable for whatever happens to the kid. Um, but what happened, you know, like, so let's talk about what happens to the horse. So those are really good things to have in place. Like Camry said, an LLC I don't care if you don't make any money, start the LLCs right off. Honestly, it's with horses. It's way too dangerous to leave yourself up for, for that. There are some smaller businesses where you can get away with not having an LLC for a little while, but with horses, there's just way too much. Like you could do one lesson and it could just go south. And then all of a sudden you've lost everything. So yeah, an LLC right away. 
Well, and um, I'm going to share a little story here from the barn that I managed back east. Um, they used to run a trail riding business for tourists. And so they would, they had a string of horses that they would put people on. And they actually got sued, I want to say a couple times, uh, because people would purposely, so I mean, if, if trail riding is what you want to do, people would purposely fall off their horse and hurt themselves and then claim neglect. And so they had told me the story of a guy that was just, they were walking along, none of the horses did anything silly, they were just doing their job walking along the trail. And this guy just like, whoop, boop, and fell off and I can't remember if it was broke his arm or hurt his arm and but they did it specifically to sue someone and there are people out there that will do that um and you always feel like oh no like this person wouldn't do that it's like you just never know yeah um like and like when they told me that oh, I was just ah, I yeah. can't believe there are people out there that will make their money in such a dishonest way. No, and that, I guess we can kind of talk about insurance too. It's really important to have insurance. Um, and insurance for horses is expensive. Uh, I'm trying to think like how much I paid a year. It was well over $2,000, I think, in insurance for riding lessons. And I also did trail rides and training. Um, so all of that needed to be covered. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty expensive <laughs> every time that came up. And you have to look too, and like really research your insurance, really look into their clauses because there can be lots of things that, oh, all of a sudden they're not going to cover you because of this one little thing that didn't happen or did happen or the age of your riders. There are a lot of insurance um, companies that will not insure you if you teach kids under seven, like they have to be at least seven. So that's something to look at if you want to take younger kids is, okay, what, what ages? Um my particular insurance when I was when I was doing riding lessons full time, I could do trail trail rides, but only for people in my lesson program. So if it was in the course of like a lesson program, I could take them on trail rides, but I could not do guided trail rides. Um, so like things to look at there as well when you're looking into insurance. Yeah, and I actually played it risky in the beginning. I had my contracts and I had my signs up, but I did not have extra insurance to cover anybody else. And I did state that in my contract that like, I do not have insurance that covers your horse. If you bring your horse onto my property, your horse is not covered um, under my insurance policy. And I did recently change that, oh, I want to say two years ago. Um, and a lot of that had to do with doing more lessons because yeah. I had a lot more people um, on my property. When it was just me on somebody's horse, mm -hmm. I wasn't as concerned about having an insurance policy. <laughs> um, but yeah, as soon as I started having, you know, I was hiring assistants and then I had lesson programs and stuff. It was like, yep, I have to have an insurance policy. And it's like you said, it's not cheap to get those policies. <laughs> No, and I like I definitely didn't have it starting out. I mean, I didn't I knew nothing when I first started out, right? Um, but definitely the bigger I got and the more money I was paying out, like my facilities, they needed proof of insurance. And and really too, it's it's one of those things you you want to make sure if you're going to writing lessons you probably want to check for insurance because that's gonna be something like if something does happen, I mean you don't want to do anything, but you want to know like, okay, are you covered? Is your kid covered if, if an accident happens um, under their insurance, right? So just something to look at. But I also feel like if somebody's going to pay for insurance, you know, that person's pretty serious about what they're doing too. And they're not going to show up and 
I don't know, and not actually teach your kid or put your kid in a dangerous situation because they're, they're really trying to cover all their bases. For sure. There's a lot that goes into it and the legalities and stuff can be stressful, but realize, I mean, that's just part of being a business owner, period. Um, yeah. You're going to be in the horse industry. That's just part of being in the horse industry. So don't let that phase you, but I do feel like you do need to look into it and just really know. Like what, what are you liable for? What are you not liable for? Really look into the costs of things, realize that it is hard to make money. I mean, you can, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to tell you, cause there's lots of people who've told Camry and I lots and lots of times that like, there's no money in horses. You can't possibly do this. And it's like, yeah, it, it takes a lot because the overhead cost is so much because owning one horse alone is a big expense, let alone owning enough for a lesson program. Um, but just really look into that, look into your area and don't be afraid to charge people what you're worth. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, the longer you're in it, the more you can make money. So it's mostly, I feel like in the beginning that really is just like that struggle of how do we make enough to like keep making it work until you start making money? Mm -hmm. Um, because my business has been going now, like I said, since 2014. So coming on nine years this month. Um, and you know, I'm actually starting to make money, but the first five plus years, zero, zero dollars. Um, and, and part of that too was by choice because I put every penny I made back into my business, Mm -hmm. um, to invest more in my business so I could keep making it more successful. So we put up, um, like I said, that, that first year we put up the arena and the put you know we had to put sand in the arena and get all the panels for the arena and then um a couple years after that we put up our first shelter um like or I guess it was a hay shed we put up first Mm -hmm. and then after that we put up our first shelter for the horses and then we put up a second shelter for the horses but we always did it we never did it on on a loan I always just did it as I saved up the money yeah. Um, and so all of my money went back into my business. So I'm, I guess I could have been making more if I would have just stayed at the bare minimum and, and not improved my business. But to me, that was well worth it because it makes it better for my horses. I have better facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I, I love being able to take care of my horses in that way where they do have a shelter to go in because yes, the horses can definitely survive without a shelter, but um, it's just an added bonus and just a way that I can charge more because I do have nicer facilities now. And, and then I just feel better about the care I'm giving because <laughs> I right. care about my animals. So the peace of mind. <laughs> yes. The peace of mind of like, Oh yay, They're so well taken care of. And then the goal, like right now, my shelters are just um, the atop, but the goal is to be able to put sides on them and then sliding doors so that when the weather does get nasty, which this year's weather has been insane, worst wind and worst storms that we've had in forever um so that way when there are those big huge storms I can put my animals inside and slide that door shut and lock them inside when it's nasty um so I mean I'm always wanting to grow and stuff but definitely don't sell yourself short either on being able to make money in it because I'm starting to make money now and it's like oh yay finally like nine years later I'm (laughs) I'm making money and actually feeling like like I can um you know, help with the financial burden that, like you said, you know, our husbands have great jobs and they pay for all the other things that aren't horse related. (laughs) And, and so now it's nice to be able to, to pitch in, in that aspect too. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think it is important to just really state like, yes, you can, 
but it's going to take a lot of time. Like I was in writing lessons for four years. My first profit was a hundred dollars, you know, <laughs> in four years. And, but again, like we do it for the love of it. Right. So as long as you've got other things in alignment, like Camry and I are lucky enough to have husbands who work full time and who can provide for our other living expenses. So it makes sense. And they are supportive enough to be okay with the fact that we are making nothing. <laughs> um, but it just, it takes time. And I think too, I think it's like, as far as government, and you, you might know this a little bit better, but you have to make a profit like one out of every seven years, isn't it? With horses or is it, I don't know. There's something I can't remember well with that. Um, but it just takes time. But I think that's with any business. I mean, there are some businesses that you will see a profit like in the second year, but very rarely are you going to see a profit in the first year with any business that, that you start because you, you do have to spend money and invest in your business and, and grow it no matter what business you're doing. So I love yeah. that. Well, I can't think of anything else. If you guys have questions, email us and heck, like if you have somebody, we are very, we are hoping to really set up some interviews with people in the horse industry in different avenues. So if you have like a horse industry aspect that you want to learn about, whether that's photography or clothing or chiropractic work or therapy or whatever, shoot it to us. Like, let us know that you're interested and we will look for somebody in that part of the industry and interview them because I think we should. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we will see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.